Be turning over to Mark 13 with me this morning. I'm going to take a, a little tour, detour from Acts. We've been kind of doing that on and off last few weeks, and I really wanted to kind of follow up my sermon from two weeks ago with this, but things didn't fit together till this week, and now they fit, so I always like to go in God's timing, not mine. There's always sometimes I want to do things, and God says, eh, not, not quite yet, but as you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about sharing your faith and, and telling people that God loves them and showing the bridge between you know, our sin and, and what Jesus did. He died for that sin and bridged the gap between us and God. And anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and we just want to go and, and we talked about, you know, what we're here for is to make disciples. And disciples are followers of God. And, and the ultimate goal, the ultimate goal that our church is trying to do, and churches across the world, is trying to get people uh, ready to go out and share the gospel with others. And that's what discipleship is about. That's the ultimate goal is that that person that has given their heart to Jesus can go and share that with someone else. And we learned last week or a couple weeks ago, it's not very difficult. It's not the hardest thing in the world to do. It's just telling what God has done and sharing your story. And it's just a great, great thing to do. This week is one of the questions that you might run into when you talk to people at work and your family out in public uh, you know, different places. This might be one of the biggest questions that's going on, especially today, because people are trying to rewrite the Bible. People are trying to make the Bible say that it's not relevant to our times today. And just understanding why we believe. How do you know the Bible is real? That's what people are going to ask you. How do you know the Bible's real? And so I want to take you through some things this morning that helps you understand why the Bible is real and how we know the Bible is real. And uh, I think it will really open your eyes and open our eyes. Some of you have been through this before, but I think it will open our eyes to realize and what, what the world wants to do is take science and history and everything and say, well, now, I don't know if the Bible fits with this. But what the Bible says is, if you'll look at me, I'll show you all the science and history and all that stuff. That's why we've got it today, because we've told you a long time ago, God said, I've told you a long time ago in my word how all this is going to play out. And if you'll just look at it, you'll see that the truth is there. And you don't use science to prove the Bible. You use Bible to prove science. And it's amazing as you look at those kind of things this morning. And you'll have answers that, that people will say, well, why do you know the Bible's true? And I want to take you through that this morning. I want to take you to Mark 13, kind of a different place to open up for a Bible study for, for this. But I think it's very important because this, talks, this is coming from Jesus. He's talking about the end times. And, um, you know, most of us believe we're in the end times. We are in the end times. Um, now, I don't know how much longer we've got. Nobody knows that but God. Um, but I believe that the handwriting is on the wall. I believe as you look around, there's rumors of uh, wars and rumors of wars. There's people battling people. And at the core of all this, me and Jeff were talking about Friday, at the core of all what's going on in the world today is a holy war. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. And it's, it's going on everywhere you look. It's a holy war. And it's been going on since way a long time ago, even before the garden, when we studied a few weeks ago in our class, when Satan fell from heaven and wanted to make his throne greater than God's, and God cast him out. That battle has been going on since then, and it will go on until time comes. The Bible says at the end of Revelation, it says, and someday the devil will be cast in the lake of fire, and we won't have to put up with him no more. Amen? That's coming. That is coming. But we are in the last days, and we see that going on. We see cataclysmic uh, climate and all this. We see all these storms and tornadoes and earthquakes and things. And, and the Bible tells us that the earth is groaning to be made right. 
It is screaming out, God, please make us right. Make us like we were back in the garden when everything got along. We was telling the kids this morning, you know at one time you could sit there and play with a rattlesnake and it wouldn't bite you. You could sit there and pet a lion on the head and it would just sit there and smile at you. Because in the garden there was perfect harmony at one time. But you know what broke up that perfect harmony was sin. Our old, our old pride, our old rebellion is what made that break apart. But our Lord and our Savior has promised that someday he's going to put that harmony back together. And I want to be there to see that. And I want you to be there to see that. And it says that all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone that believes in Jesus Christ will know that someday for sure. And so it's going to be a wonderful time. Mark 13, verse 24. It's in red letters, so this is from Jesus. I love reading from the red letters. But in those days following the distress, and this is talking about after the tribulation and all those things, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I tell you what, when you're around and the stars start falling from the sky, it's going to get some people's attention. It says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is talking about his second coming. When he comes back and steps down and sets down on this this earth once again and rules and reigns for a thousand years. It says... You see him coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the earth, ends of the earth, to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now if you do any kind of Bible study, you'll always remember that the fig tree is always talking about Israel. And it's talking about Israel here. When Israel starts putting forth its leaves in 1948... Israel signed, it was, it was brought back into being its own nation. Israel, the, the nation of Israel was reborn again. And if you'll read, well, let's read a little bit further. It says, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you'll know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And there's our key verse this morning. Heaven and earth will pass away. What we see now, talking about, not talking about heaven, heaven, but the heavens, the skies, this earth we sit on, heaven and earth will pass away. But God says, my words will never pass away. So when people are trying to tell you this book is not relevant anymore, this book hasn't kept up with times, this book is outdated, this book is antique, this book doesn't know culture today, guys, do not let culture dictate this. This dictates culture. This dictates culture right here. If this says it's wrong, guess what? It's wrong. Whether we think it's not wrong anymore or not, it's still wrong. Whether this says it's right, it's right. When this says Jesus is the way to salvation and no other way, that's the way. You don't have to guess. This is the way. A lot of people getting back to that verse that says, truly, verse 30, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Let me tell you how close we might be. And let me enter and say might be. If you take that literally, when, when, when Jerusalem became a nation, 1948, that generation will not pass away. If you were born in 1948, how old are you? You're in your 70s? Is that about right? Somewhere in your 70s? Before that, all that generation passes away. If you take that literally, it's going to be over with. That don't leave us much time. What we got, 10, 15, 20 years? 
Maybe. All right. And again, nobody knows. Nobody knows today. But I'm saying right there, it says when the fig trees start putting on a slip, when Israel comes back to be a nation, 1948, you know that it's getting close. The, near, the end is near and they're knocking, God's knocking on the door. And guys, the time for games, the time for doing whatever we want, the time for not praising God like he deserves to be, the time for saying, I'll get saved some other day. Guys, I'm telling you, it's coming to an end real quick, real quick. And people want to say this Bible is not applicable anymore. This is old stuff. This is old Hebrew poetry. And guys, it's just as real today as it's ever been because our God does not change. It does not change. Well, let's look through some things real quick. This could take a long time, but this could be fun, all right? Historical documentation. First of all, how does it prove out in history, all right? Well, let's look, first of all. There are 24,000 handwritten copies of the earliest books of the Bible. Now, I'll give you this. There is no original manuscript left anywhere, all right? There's no original manuscript left for any book that we read in our library, but the most, the most trusted, the most valued, the most authorized things are manuscripts, copies of the original. There are no more copies of the original than there are the Bible. No other book out there has as many copies of the original as the Bible does. 20, over 24,000. The next closest book, maybe you read this in high school or in college, Homer's Iliad has 643 copies. The Bible has over 24,000 copies. And yet they'll say, oh, that's real. Homer wrote that. There's no doubt about it. He wrote that. Okay? The Bible was written only 35 or 160 years after the originals. Now, you know this. If you see something happen out there, say an accident, nobody's hurt, all right? You see an accident, the closer that I can get your eyewitness report, the better the story will be. The quicker you see that and write it down or somebody you tell somebody, you're going to have it fresh on your mind. Now, if you wait six weeks, if you wait a year, that incident, that wreck you've seen, is going to be foggy in your mind. You think about the Bible and the copies. They were copied 35 to 160 years after it happened. That's pretty quick. I mean, people are still alive. People are still alive that have seen Jesus that are writing the Bible. People have talked to people, eyewitnesses that, wrote, that went with Jesus. Have seen, they're writing this. It's not somebody that's 500, 600, a thousand years removed. They actually seen these things happen with their eyes or they talked to eyewitnesses that seen it happen with their own eyes. They're not making this up. They're not making this up. Compare it to some of the other writings. Buddha, the first things that was copied was 700 years after the fact. Caesar's writings, 950 years after the fact. You think some things got moved around and jostled around after 950 years? I, I would say so. And Plato, we just think Plato's one of the greatest artistic writers of all time. People just, this slobber all over this guy. You know, Plato, oh, he was a philosopher. What, 1,200-something years after he wrote his, somebody made a copy of it. Don't you think that could get really turned around? It could get really messed up. Look at the Bible, 35 years to 150, 160 years, it was copied after it happened. We've got eyewitness people writing these things down. So there is historical documentation of the Bible. Next screen, please. Prophecy, and this is huge. Over 2,000 accurately fulfilled predictions in the Bible. If you go back to the Old Testament, 2,000 things said that's going to happen in the future. 2,000 things. 300 specific details about Jesus, his life, his death, his birth. 
300 detailed things. We have no other prophecies on any other person or any other event even close to this. And guys, if you shoot at 300 prophecies and five of them come out, you're really good. They think you as one of those smart in the future seeings, people that can see the future. 300 things were said that would happen 600, 700, 1,000 years before Christ. And every one of them, all 300 prophecies were fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? That's just accident. That's just coincidence. That's just happenstance. Guys, my God does not lie. My God will not show you the wrong way. My God tells you what's going to happen. Our God tells us what's going to happen, and it happens. It happens. For example, Isaiah 53 beautifully describes the life of Christ 700 years before he was born. It tells you the very exact town that he's going to be buried in hundreds of years before Jesus came and was born in a little town called the city of bread, Bethlehem. And there he was born to mother Mary and his earthly father, Joseph. Amazing, amazing things. Let's move on. Historical accuracy, and I love this quote here. A lot of people say, well, you know, I think me and Dan was talking about, we've been in Daniel on Wednesday night, and they can't find, you know, they can't find this king, Belshazzar, that seen the handwriting on the wall. They can't find him in history. So the Bible's got some flaws in it. The Bible's not perfect. Listen to me. We believe that the Bible is inerrant, which is, means it has no errors. We believe it is divinely inspired. We believe that Jesus told those guys and inspired them what to write. It's not just somebody making it up. We believe it is without, without error. It is, is full of doctrine and full of t- for you to teach and to show people. But we look at these things and, and the historical accuracy and over and over and over, it finds that the Bible is true. Listen to this quote. Dr. Nelson Gluck, probably the greatest modern authority on Israeli archaeology, has said no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. What does that mean? That's some big words, Brother Todd. No matter what they found, it does not go against the Bible. It proves the Bible over and over and over. And this is not Christian people, so to speak. Not always. This is not always people that believe in the Bible going out and finding things to make it look like the Bible's right. This is people who probably don't even believe in the Bible, but they're looking for history and artifacts. And every time they find something, it's proven in the Bible again and again and again. He said, so scores of archaeological findings have been made which confirm in clear outline or exact detail historical statements in the Bible. And by the same token, proper evaluation of biblical descriptions has often led to amazing discoveries. Not only is what they found out in the dirt prove the Bible, sometimes they go to the Bible, Old Testament, they read, and they go, well, let's go look there. They go look there, and guess what? There it is. Isn't it amazing? Not only are they digging up stuff that proves the Bible, they're looking in the Bible to prove where things are. Historical, historical accuracy of the Bible. This next one's my favorite. Scientific accuracy. And so many people say, well, science, you know, you just, you know, you look at science and it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really prove the Bible. You can't take science and prove God and and all these things. And all these things listed here, and there's some big old words and some big old laws and things that you probably hadn't never heard of or hadn't heard of since high school or college. But every one of these laws that they found thousands of years later through scientific knowledge and We've made a great discovery. If you just look back in the pages of the Bible, they're proven thousands of years before they were ever discovered. 
the roundness of the earth. You can go to Isaiah 40, 22. That's Old Testament. That's thousands of years before Jesus was born. And they said it, they, it says it's the heavens set above the sphere of the earth, the circle of the earth. It tells you the earth's a circle. They didn't discover the earth was a circle for way. They were scared to even sail out on the ocean, afraid they'd fall off the side. You remember that in history? They were afraid the world was flat. Isaiah told them back in the Old Testament that the world is round. Here's a big word for you. The almost infinite, infinite extent of the sidereal universe. That's when, the best way I can explain that is when you look up at the stars, and we can only see so many stars with our eyes, and then you get a telescope and you can see more, and then they get a bigger telescope and they can see more, and it just goes on and on and on. And our galaxy is just one of many million of galaxies, and God just goes on and on and on because we serve an infinite God. We serve a God that is everywhere. The God is all-creating, all-knowing, and he is huge. And this scripture proved before, long before they found other galaxies and other stars that it's out there. It's out there. And God has created it. Way back in Isaiah again, the law of conservation of, uh, conservation of mass and energy. Now, it took me three hours just to be able to tell you about this, all right? Because that's a big old law. But I finally just wrote something down, Gary. It'd probably be easier, all right? Listen to this. When God created the earth, he seeded it with sufficient water to destroy it. Think about this just a minute. What happened in Noah's day? It was a flood, a great flood. When God created the earth, he created it with enough energy to flood itself. All right? In the same manner, he seeded the heavens and the earth with enough fire to destroy them. The Bible tells us in the end someday that this earth is going to burn up like fire. You think about the atomic bomb and, and splitting of the atoms and splitting of the molecules and how when they do that, they create such energy and such explosion. God created all that. God created all that, that mass and that energy and the energy that's stored up in a matter that it's just waiting to be released. Think about the energy that is stored up in the world and the earth that's just being waiting to be released. Well, Brother Todd, why don't we just blow up? You know why? Because the Bible says God has got his hand on it. And he says that all things is held together by him. He holds together everything. And guys, one of these days, God's going to let his hand off, and it's going to be awful. And the earth is just going to explode. And this earth we live on is going to be no more. And the heavens that we see at night is going to be no more. Right now, through him and by him, all things hold together. But someday he's going to go, boom. And the matter and the energy that's going to be released in this planet is going to consume itself and burn like fire. That's scary, isn't it? You go, that's a, that's a lot of power. That's the God we serve, and that's nothing to him. That, that's easy. But he created a spear like that. The splitting of an atomic nucleus results in a fire release of enormous quantities of energy. When they split that atom, that's how we got the atom bomb. That's how you can drop a bomb on somebody and it just obliterates everybody for miles. The energy in that. Who created that atom? God. Who created that energy? God. So all the matter in the world represents tremendous explosive potential. At present, it is held together by God. 2 Peter 3 says, Heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He is holding his hand on it right now. 
We are living in the age of grace. He is allowing us to find him. He is allowing us to come to salvation. He's got his hand on it. He's squeezing it tight. But someday when it's time for judgment, when it's time for the ungodly to be punished, and he's giving you time right now, don't say he's not fair because he's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. He's waiting. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. He's waiting. But someday he's going to go, boom, and it's going it's to disintegrate. Maybe that's how we're casting the lake of fire. I don't know. You think about that. Let's go on. The hydraulic, hydrologic cycle. That's where it rains. We've been watching that happen all weekend. It rains. It runs in the ditch. Runs by Gary's house. It goes out in the river. It goes to the ocean. The sun pops out. It sucks it up in the clouds, and it happens all over again. That was told back in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 1.7. It's in there. The vast number of stars. The paramount importance of blood in the life process. They just now found out a few hundred years ago how important blood was. God told them that a long time ago. The atmospheric circulation, that's talking about the clouds. And when you watch the weather report, and there's a, there's a cold front coming down. There's a warm front going up. God told them about fronts. He said the winds move. They move north and, north and south and east and west, and they circle around the globe. He's been telling them about that gravitational field he said he suspends the earth in nothingness gravitation he just suspends the earth boom it's there you tell me we don't serve a powerful god and then going back to the law of increasing etropy i guess i'm saying that right that's things that go from order to disorder guess what you and me are deteriorating i know you don't want to hear that but i'm not as pretty as i used to be all right? We're deteriorating. The world is deteriorating. All right? The world is wearing out. It's kind of like your clothes. It's wearing out. What happens someday? And ladies, you have to do this before they wear out. You buy more clothes. All right? The world, look at the world like this. Look at God's creation like a garment. The garment is wearing out, but you know what? There's a promise that he's going to replace that garment with something better. And someday we're going to be in heaven with him. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be perfect. They've been wondering about that. He told them about that way back in, uh, in Psalms. He said that the world is, is, is we're, we're, creation is wasting away. Creation, creation is going away. We're, we're getting older. We're getting feebler. Things are dying. But he said there's something better coming. There's something better coming. Let's move on. Next screen. The unique structure of the book, and I, I love this, how it's put together. How many knows how many books are in the Bible without looking? 66, I heard them, they all looked at the screen. 66 books, all right? It's a library. If you ever read the Bible in chronological order, which means how it happened, this is not chronological order. Genesis, Ex, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Ruth. That's not chronological order. It happened in different times. But it's like putting together a library with all these volumes. The amazing thing about this is it was written over 1,500 plus years. Now, if we all sat in here today and wrote something that we had seen, we'd probably get a pretty close, accurate thing and it would all fit together because we're all here at the same time. But do you imagine if I write a book today and 1,500 years from now some other person writes a book about the same subject, there's probably going to be a lot of differences. Here, 40 different authors, 
wrote the book, put it together, and guess what? It has perfect unity and consistency throughout. And what does it talk about? One consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation, God's great work in creation, the redemption of all things through his only son, Jesus Christ. Every book points to, to Jesus in some way. The Old Testament is pointing forward to his, his crucifixion on the cross, his resurrection. The New Testament shows you that it happened. Then the other New Testament shows you that if you'll accept this and go through him, that there's a new way coming, there's a new heaven, and it all fits together about the great creation of God and his love for mankind. Every part fits together perfectly. 66 different books, 40 different authors, over 1,500 years, and it fits together seamlessly. That is not by mistake. That is not by circumstance. That is by the inspiring of God to men, the inspired Word of God. Next screen, please. Eyewitness accounts. Strong case, the New Testament was written prior to A.D. 70. Now, you know Jesus was crucified, resurrection about A.D. 29 or 30. Most of the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, was written within the next 30 years. That's going to give you a pretty good eyewitness account. Like I said earlier, each writer is either an eyewitness to Jesus or was an interviewer of an eyewitness. They either seen Jesus or they interviewed someone that seen Jesus. I love that thought. Three of the writers were disciples, Matthew, John, and Peter. They actually traveled with Jesus his 30 years, you know, every day he was with them. Not all 30 years, but you know what I mean? During his ministry, he was there. They listened to him. And we see how it fits together. Eyewitness accounts. You cannot beat an eyewitness account. You get in a court of law and something has happened, they want somebody that's seen it, not somebody that heard about it. You're kicked out of court if you're just talking about you heard about it. They want to know if you've seen what happened. And these guys saw what Jesus... And not only did they see him live and miracles and die on a cross, they seen a risen Savior. The Bible says over 500 people saw Jesus alive. That's a pretty good eyewitness account that Jesus rose from the dead. There's still people saying he's still in a grave somewhere. I don't believe it. Let's go on. The last part. And here's the, here's the evidence that I think is, is good for me and you. All this is, is big and it's great and I love all of it. But, but think about the lives that has changed over the last thousands of years. And you know what? Look at that second line. People come to believe the Bible by free choice. You know, if you're, if you're a Muslim or you're a Confucianism or whatever, they force you to read the Bible and they force you to believe that. You go, well, Brother Todd, my mom and dad brought me to church when I was little, and they made me read the Bible. Yeah, but you know what? When you got 18, 19, 20, you can just say, I don't want that anymore. I don't want any part of it. I don't believe it. And you know what? You have every right. You have free will that God has given you as a wonderful gift. And you have free will. I don't, I don't recommend it. But you have free will to walk away from God. But you know, you think about how many people decided not to wake, walk away from God. If this Bible is so old and out of dated and, and so, why is it still the bestseller after 2,000 years? Why is it still the number one selling book in the world year after year after year? If this is false, if this is not real, why do people still change their lives because of this book? If this is not real, 
Why do people treat each other better because of this book? If this is not real, why do people love each other that they don't even know because of this book? This book changes lives. Me and you, folks that are sitting here this morning that know Jesus as Savior, we're evidence of that. It's changed our life. It's how we live our life. How in the world could a book 2,000 years old and some of it older than that, how could it be so applicable today? How can I look in here today in 2014 and find something that helps me through a very tough situation or helps me through my life or helps me through the most difficult days of my life? It's because it's an inspired word of God and he always knows and he never changes and his word is as good today as it was 4,000 years ago. People become convicted and changed. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in that office and and reading God's word, and it just comes over you. And you just, you either say, hey, amen, or you, you're, you're burdened and you cry because of your sin. Or, you know, you just see different things that God brings out. And you're convicted and you're inspired and you're excited about what God has done. How can just a common book do that? Powerful in the lives of people today. The Bible has proven to be trustworthy, powerful, and significant time and time. And time again. You cannot have anything better in your home than this right here. You cannot read anything better than this thing right here. You cannot teach your kids anything better than this book right here. You cannot. You cannot find anything better than this book right here. Second Timothy says this. But as for you, continue what you've learned... And have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learn it. He's talking about keep going. Let me tell you this morning, keep going. Don't get, don't get discouraged. Don't get downhearted because the world is crazy and it's hard. And, and, and it just seems like one problem after another. And it just seems like your life is just, it's just constant turmoil. Guys, just hang in there. Go to this word. Let this word soothe you. Let this word minister to you. Don't give up on what you've learned. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You want to know what your, what your book is, what your training manual is? Right here. So you can be equipped for everything that God wants you to do. So you can be equipped to tell people the power of God's word. So you can be equipped and know that when times get hard, there is a God that still loves me, and he is going to take care of me. He's going to be there for me. Let's finish up our scriptures in Mark 13. But about the day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. We don't know when he's coming back. I can't tell you when Jesus is coming back. But I know this. Be on guard. Be alert. Sit up. Remember how, you, how your mom and dad used to tell you, sit up. Sit up straight. Open those eyes up. Look forward. That's what God's asking you to do in his word today. Sit up. Be alert. Don't be sleeping. It's not time to sleep, Christians. It's fixing to get crazy out there. It's already crazy, but I think, I think it's coming to our front door real quick.
And that's just Brother Todd talking. But I think the handwriting is on the wall for America bigger than it's ever been. We have turned our back and turned our back and turned our back on God. And no other kingdom that has ever done that has not, out, has, has not had God's judgment on them. We are in for some judgment in America. It may come back to where two or three of us families got to pile up in one house just to make enough to make a living to feed ourselves. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know this. I know God allows things. God doesn't make it happen, but he allows things to happen to force us back to him. He allows things to happen to force us back to him so that we can have safety and comfort. And we can have somebody there to take care of us because he knows and he loves us that when we're out there doing our own thing, we are not safe because he knows our heart and the heart of man is sinful. And God says, come close to me. Come close to me. Be alert. Wake up. Quit playing. Quit using God as a sideline. Side you know, oh, oh, by the way, God, good to see you. Stop and bow at his feet and worship him. He is the one that's holding this world together. He is the one you need to be in behind when he lets his hand off. Because it's not going to be pretty. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Guys, he's asked us to be at the door. He's given us a job. He's given us all a job to tell people about Jesus. To live in such a way that people can see light and, and, and salt, and we can tell them and live in a such a way that they can see that Jesus is real in our life. And he said, I want you to stand at the door and I want you to keep watch because the enemy's out there. And I want you also to watch and let people know that Jesus is coming again. And I want to let you know this morning, Jesus is coming again and it might be real soon. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back. And whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows at dawn, if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone... Watch. Watch. The owner of the house has left this to us. Who's the owner of this house? Jesus Christ. He's asked us to watch over things. He's asked us to take care of things. And he says, you don't know when the owner's coming back. But when he comes back, don't you let him find you sleeping. You watch. You be ready. And you be quick to give an account that this book right here is real. This book right here is not out of date. This book right here is still the way culture should dictate itself. And this book right here is the way to salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's bow together. Dear Father, we, we ask you to help us be on watch. Lord, forgive me on the days that I sleep. Lord, help us to be alert. Help us to stand for you and to stand for your word. Lord, the proof is there over and over and over and over again that your word is real. It's not just some book. This is not just some religion. This is not just some opinion. This is the way, the truth, 
in the life. Lord, inspire our hearts as you inspired those that wrote the word. And Lord, maybe even though we're not writing the Bible as these men did, Lord, inspire us to preach the good word, to, to speak the good word, to live the good word. And Lord, we can still be inspired by you every day. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. If there's someone here, Lord, that hasn't accepted you yet, we pray today they would do it and not wait. We don't know. We just don't know. Lord, we pray if today would be the day. We pray to those that want to come and be a part and be busy in the Master's house. Help them come to be a part of us. Lord, if there's some here that have been feeling like they've been sleeping and they just want to ask you to help them rededicate or if there's some that's praying for lost in their family and Lord, they're getting worried because the days are getting short. Lord, please hear their prayers this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.